Hello, and welcome to Dig It. I'm Peter Brown, and hosting the show with me today is Chris Day. Hi, Chris. Hi, Peter. Today on Dig It, we welcome Nick Hamilton, son of Jeff Hamilton, who for 17 years presented BBC gardening programme Gardener's World. Nick continues with the legacy at Barnsdale in Rutland, where back in the 1980s, over 30 TV gardens were created. The story of Nick, Barnsdale and the recollections of Jeff Hamilton have been beautifully collated in a new book, The Right Genes by Nick Hamilton. First, Nick, welcome to Dig It. It's great to be chatting with you, and I suspect we know where you are today. Uh, you know where I am because I'm here every day, Chris. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and happy, and happy to happy to be here. I, I honestly, couldn't think of anywhere better in the world to be. I should imagine yeah. if you're lucky like us, we've got the sun shining down here in Buckinghamshire at the moment, and it's not too windy today, so it's probably a perfect day to be out and looking around the gardens, isn't it? I can tell you what, Peter. I mean, for the amount of council tax we pay, we deserve the sun here. Um, and <laughs> we, we pay enough for it. And it is, you're right, it's a, it's a gorgeous day outside. And I'm, and I'm sat in my cupboard, as I do um, all, too, all too much these days, I'm afraid. I do get out and about as much as I can. Um, but, uh, but my office is in the cupboard, uh, which is probably the best place for me, to be fair. Um, and, um, and, and, yeah, it's, it's lovely, and it's a perfect day for, for looking out. And, and, I mean, the gardens are just, as they are all over the country, just bursting forth, and it's, it's such an exciting time of year. Without a doubt, yeah, because spring's been quite late here mm. this year for us in Buckinghamshire. Has it been the same up there in Leicestershire? Well, no, yeah, Rutland, Le- Leicestershire or Rutland? Is it Rutland? Well, well, oh dear, don't don't come to Rutland and say Leicestershire. <laughs> oh dear, sorry. <laughs> you might you might not escape. Oh, uh, we're, we're, yeah, we're we're very proudly uh, back as Rutland, um, and uh, you know, smallest county in the country. So we're very very proud of that. So so uh, yeah, so that's where we are. And and to be fair, it, it's you know the the thing I think with with both sort of areas is that we're far enough away from the sea coast to not be affected by sea breezes and 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 things like that. So you know we 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 get quite a concentrated cold when we when it gets cold. So we had a, a really you know for, for the winters that we're getting these days, quite a hard winter, mm. and it has been a a slow pickup from there. And and the temperatures have been running sort of you know maybe somewhere between one and three degrees behind the average and mm. so things are later uh, and surpri- but surprisingly you say that you look at some things you think oh my god you know you're doing what you should be doing at the right time yet other things so it gives it, it's, it this is the point is that every year I've, I've said to people quite often that you know if you kept a diary of, of your own garden and 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 you know here of it's impossible for us to do but of everything that is in flower on every single day of the year every single year would be different mm. Mm. You're not wrong. Because of that, that variation you get with the weather. So the thing is that, that we know when there's, even without without taking note of, of mentally or physically of, of what the weather's been doing every day, we know when things are, are different because all of a sudden people will be asking about a plant that's a great complement to another plant, but that other plant outshines it all the time. And although they work well together, it's always the other plant that people see. And then all of a sudden you get one year when that plant is late doing what it's doing and then all of a sudden this this poor little plant that's been overshadowed for, for years and years and years suddenly is the main attraction and people suddenly want that whereas every other year they then they always want its partner hmm. you know so it's you know it's a, it's a strange thing how things like that can happen where some plants can just randomly do what they always do whereas others are actually affected by the weather 
I think that you're, you're quite right. Nature and gardening can be very fickle at times, can't it? <laughs> so, well, yeah. yeah, I mean, to be fair, you know, we are we are curators of our own spot mm-hmm. and that's what we are but 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 we do curate and and nature controls <laughs> whatever whatever we think we you know did. we're not in control really that's right that's true um nick maybe we can start our chat about your dad jeff hamilton reading the book uh, which i did um it's a great read by the way uh, he really was driven by his family wasn't he yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, his family initially defined him. Um, he was, um, you know, he had, uh, I think when you read through the book, you do realise, and, and, and I do make, um, I think, quite a good effort of, of making the reader understand what what my grandmother was like, so my, what, my, what my dad's mum was like, um, because he did have streaks of that within him, but, but he, was, he was very much, as I am, you know, his father's son. And, um, and and so that defined him. But also, you know, when he when he got his own family, then, you know, that was the, the, the main focus of his attention. Although, you know, horticulture is a is a, a life choice. It's not a job. It's a life choice. Um, and so, you know, for me, uh, horticulture has been my life really even growing up, um, even though, you know, when when I was um, very uh, sort of a small child and up to up to teenage years really um my dad was a, a self-employed landscaper so you know i never i never experienced horticulture as, as a as a job in that respect because you don't take young children on a site with you you know when you when you're working in private gardens and things but um but it's always been part of of my life and and you know and my dad as well and 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 he was very you know very keen on on the, the family life it was a big part of his life as well Excellent. And you know, just thinking, uh, I, I've grown up in a sort of family that's always been in horticulture as well. Did your father or did your mother you know, sort of grow seeds and show you how to propagate and things like that when you were younger? Uh, my dad, you know, my dad was, yeah, I mean, we did, you know, we we did all that. If we showed interest, and my dad was never one, you know, to say, um, you know, I'm, I'm in horticulture, you must follow what I'm doing. I've, I've got two brothers, one older and one younger, and my older brother, is a professional photographer, so took all the pictures for my dad's books and articles that he that he wrote, oh, uh, and okay. and still still does for me, and uh, you know has gone into website building and all that sort of stuff as well now. But he, he only lives down the road, and and so he he looks after all our website and webshop and 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 comes and takes photographs um, all the time here, um, but has had in all that time of being in horticulture as a photographer, but in horticulture has had no interest in gardening at all. Until he turned 60, and almost the day he turned 62 years ago, he suddenly got the passion, as people do, you know. Really? And I always say people come to it when they're ready. But, yeah. but he spent, you know, people are surprised by that. My younger brother, who's a teacher, uh, he, he, has, uh, he still mows the grass under duress. <laughs> he has no interest in really in gardening at all. And yes. he, I once taught him as a child, I once taught him, uh, the name Ficus Benjamina, as we all know, is is a you know fig, an indoor fig that that people grow, you know, mini rubber plant, as it were, and um, and that's the only name that he's ever remembered. So every plant <laughs> to him is Ficus Benjamina, whatever it is, <laughs> and he, he still remembers Excellent. it to this day. But the, but the the thing is that the people are surprised when you say to them that that that's the case. But then when you think about it, you know how many how many children do follow exactly the job that their parents. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. You know, it is a rare thing, and I think that 
you know, if you if you're born on a nursery or you're born, you know, with a garden centre and you're living on site and it's all part of your everyday life like that, then you're more likely to go into it. Um, but as I said, you know, we weren't. But but for me, it was from day one. So, but my dad never said, you know, you must go into horticulture. So it was always a case of if we showed interest in something, then he would encourage. And I've always, always from a, from a small boy. Um, been sowing seed and growing things in the garden, had my own little veg patch and, and all of that sort of stuff. And, and the encouragement was there, um, you know, from, from both parents in that respect. Wonderful. So, uh, Nick, you know, before the, the Gardener's World, I put the, the term gig, which obviously it was, it was amazing. How was life for the Hamilton family through your childhood years? Um, I won't say it was tough because I think it was it was normal for the mm-hmm. time, really. Um, you know, like I said, my dad was a landscape gardener, uh, therefore we had no money. <laughs> we lived in a you know a two bedroom terraced house uh, in Hertfordshire, and uh, you know, and, and and that was you know it was a to me it was a normal life. I didn't know any any difference. I think it makes a really good grounding for you mm-hmm. in that there's no expectation for things. You you always you know, have to achieve, you always have to work towards something. So, you know, if you wanted to buy something yourself, you've got to save for it. It wasn't just given, you know, and, and things. So, you know, that that was that was great. And I had a, you know, a brilliant, I just really only happy memories from that time. And then, and then uh, you know, my dad then came out of landscaping and bought his garden centre that he bought in Kettering uh, in Northamptonshire. And, and uh, you know, and I was there every day after school, weekends and whatever, and, and that was great for me. But then, you know, the, the, the problem with my dad was, was not the, the horticultural side. He was a, a superb horticulturist and could turn his hand to virtually anything. But as a businessman, he, was, he, he would admit to you that he was probably the worst that there could possibly be. <laughs> Had no, no real idea about business at all, and his focus was on, on horticulture, and that's what he loved. And so ultimately the garden centre went bust, um, and, you know, that was tough to lose everything, you know, the house and everything like that and to go down that route. But again, you know, you, 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 you face things that are, that are put in front of you. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, people sometimes get taken aback when you talk to them about the bankruptcy and all of that sort of stuff. And, and they worry that, you know, you, you're either going to get quite emotional, um, which is not what they want and quite rightly, or that, that it's something you don't want to talk about. But of course, for me and for my dad, it was the best thing that ever happened to him because without that, he would have never gone down the journalistic route and therefore people would never have experienced what they experienced from him, from the, the stuff that he was writing for the magazines, you know, that when he was editing a practical gardening magazine and obviously all those 17 years on Gardener's World potentially would never have happened if the garden centre had been successful. Interesting. Very. Yeah. Like you say, it sounds like you've had a very interesting sort of bringing up and... It's kept you very grounded, which, like you mm, say, I'm, I'm sure has helped in different parts of your life. And I guess part of that is sort of making the best of what you have. Is a phrase that appears very early on in the story that you know, Chris is you know, talking about, the right genes, that it's a brilliant book. But did that mantra help you sort of in your own career path? I think, I think to be fair, you know, when I look back now, at, at, you know, everything I've just said to you now and, and that, that sort of way of life and you link that with horticulture, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm talking to people who know here that, 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 that is, is the perfect grounding for going into horticulture. Mm-hmm. You know, horticulture is tough. It's not easy. It's tough. Mm-hmm. You know, we work in, 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 a, in an industry that's not 
cash rich. You know, it, it's a difficult one in that respect to, to, you know, having a garden that we have here that's open to boats, it's incredibly difficult to keep that going because of, of the impact of the weather, something you have no control over, no matter how, how good you do things. But also the fact that we work in all weather conditions and things don't go as according to plan all the time and, you know, and all this sort of stuff. So, you know, you're making the best of what you've got is something that I've been doing really since day one. And so, you know, for horticulture, that that's the perfect training, as it were, inadvertently. <laughs> but but it turns out to be the perfect training for what I've done. And, and you know, you, you just have to, whatever happens to you, you, you just have to learn to pick yourself up, dust yourself down and crack on. Mm. And, you know, and, and, and that's the way that, that you deal with life, I think. You know, the the great thing about about my dad was was the positivity all the time. And I think that came across in, in the you know, on the T V and, and mm. in his writing that you know, whether it's in the books or the magazine articles that he wrote, he was he was so positive about horticulture and, and how great it was for you and the fact that, you know, if something went wrong, you you know, I I was being brought up with, you know, if it doesn't work the first time, then try, try, try again. You know, yes. and, and that that's something that there comes a point where you, you have to say, Well, hang on a minute you know, I've tried enough now and it's still not working. So perhaps I need to look at what I'm doing as opposed to, to, to the fact that something else is, is causing it. Um, yeah. But but that's the sort of, you know, the, the way that, that we that we go on and, and the positivity. And I think in, in horticulture, because of, of the, we deal with living things all the time, you know, you have to be of a positive mindset um, or else you'd be a gibbering wreck sat in the corner if, if you took personally every single thing you know, negative things <laughs> well, that's in your work life. <laughs> that's definitely yeah, yeah. good. I've been mean, certainly thinking about my bulbs this year <laughs> yeah. that we've been yeah. laughing about yeah, all year. Have, yeah, not. <laughs> I still haven't got my bluebells in some of my pots coming up. <laughs> and now it's, and now yeah. it's nearly well, June. I, yeah. yeah, well, I yeah. did. A, I mean, I, I ran a, a, a vegetable all year round day course. Of course, it's, it's a day thing that, that on uh, uh, just the other day, and 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 I, you know, I'm talking to people there and saying to them, you know, at the end of the day, the, the trouble with amateur gardeners is the fact that if something goes wrong the first thing they say is i don't know what i did wrong there mm. and and i would say that probably 90 percent or even 90 percent plus of the time it's it's not their fault it's actually something else that's mm. caused that and 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 sometimes if you if you're, if you're not positive enough you give up then you know whereas you shouldn't because actually you don't see that it's not your fault but it, it, it probably is so you know, and, and with veg, it, it, it's always the case that, that every year something will outperform or, or some mm. things will outperform what you're expecting. And, and, and you're you're desperately trying to make new friends. So you've got you've got opportunities to give away what you've got too much of. Um, <laughs> but also on the other side of that coin, there's always going to be stuff that you're expecting to do well because it's done well every year. That suddenly for, for, for no, you know, generally climatic reasons this year, it's, it's an absolute disaster. But you can't, you know, you have to, you have to always, I mean, you know, I hear a lot and I say a lot, you know, here, there's always next year. <laughs> there is always next year. And that's the beauty of it, isn't there? You know, and, and, and so that's the positivity that runs through the whole thing. Yeah, I quite agree, Nick. Um, I have to say, I did smile when I read that you, you'd gone to the, the same horticultural college as your dad. Um, was college life a, a good experience for you? Oh, I, I, <laughs> I still smile about it now. Um, when, when just before I left for college, um, my dad said to me very wisely. He was a very wise, very clever bloke, and and he said to me, he said, "Look, just remember that you know college is your last real blowout. You know, after after you finish college and you start your first real proper job, you know that's real life kicks in there. So this is your last go. But 
and it is a big but, always remember there is work to be done. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it was a balance between the two. And I've, I've made lifelong friends at college and, um, you know, and, and had such a great time. And, and I would, uh, you know, horticultural, I mean, horticulturists are great. And, and even, even when they're young, you know, they're great. And, and I would, I would advise that to anybody who has the opportunity to go to horticultural college, just do it. It's such a great time. Yeah. And I suppose we better give a shout out to the college. That was Rittle Horticultural College in, in Essex. It was Rittle it? College yeah. in mm. Essex. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It was, it was great. And, and, uh, you know, and, and so as we still have, um, you know, contacts, uh, there, I mean, obviously when we had the, the Jeff Hamilton New Gardeners Foundation was set up to, initially to fund students going through Rittle that couldn't otherwise afford to do it. The, unfortunately, the, the charity has now come to its natural end, you know, in, in that respect. But, but, um, but you know, we've had links with, with Rittle right the way through and, and uh, you know, in a great place it was. I was fortunate for me that, that most of virtually all the lecturers, there was, there was one lecturer there, a chap called Ian Lambert, um, who, um, who taught glasshouse crops, who, who also taught my dad. Um, and and then one um, lecturer there who's head of horticulture when I went, uh, Lance Anderson, who actually was in his first year of lecturing when, when my dad was in his last year of college, although he never lectured my dad, he never taught my dad, but he was there when, when he was there. Fortunately, nobody else remembered him, which for me was a bonus uh, because he was, a, I mean, you know, I, I might have been bad enough when I was at college, but he was a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, the stories that he used to come out with, and then he told me to behave. And I'm thinking, oh my God, you told me all these things. And Double you know, but, but he, you know, he had he had a, a probably a better time than I had at college. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Now, um, Barnsdale Gardens. It's a. I hadn't realised until as we started researching this that it, it it sort of evolved. It started in one site and then moved to a second site. Can you tell us the story of Barnsdale the Gardens? Yeah, um, when when um, when my dad was first asked to go on, on on a guest on Gardener's World, he was the editor of Practical Gardening magazine at the time. So um, what Gardener's World used to do was just invite on on the rare occasion a, an ex what they class as a gardening expert onto the the program to help whichever presenter or presenters with a with a task they were doing. So they'd just like to bring in you know different people from time to time to to do different things. And obviously, being the editor of the top magazine of its day, uh, he was regarded as a gardening expert. Now, the magazine was based in offices in Peterborough. Yeah. Um, he didn't want to live in a city. He was a country boy, being brought and you know brought up in Hertfordshire. Um, although he was actually a proper Cockney, he was born you know in the East End of London, but they moved out when he was two, and um, and so he he found this place to rent um, in Rutland. Uh, which is a mile down the road from the site we're at now. Uh, and uh, it was a, a, a cottage that he had, and, and he was able to rent two acres of land behind that. And, and what he did was was he used the front garden of the cottage for his ornamental pictures for the magazine yeah. and then developed the the, the, the the bit behind, the two acres behind for fruit and veg, again, for pictures for the magazine. Now, you know, when when um, John Kenyon, who was the producer that, that uh, was unquestionably my dad's best producer he was um the one that, that asked my dad to guest on the program saw saw you know a budding talent there and and realized that, the, that he was some, going to be something special asked him back very quickly to guest again and then he started to appear irregularly on the program in 1979 and 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 then they started to come to barnsdale to do stuff but of course it was already set up 
you know, almost to just to, to have those those stills put together as a film, as it were, if you know what I mean. And, mm-hmm. and so it, it was set up in, in ideally for, for the television. Um, mm. But then the family that owned uh, Barnsdale Hall, which was the main hall and the, on the um, the area that the site that my dad rented his cottage from that family, um, they decided to sell up. And obviously he only rented, so he had to find somewhere else to move to. And the, the, the house at the top of the garden came up for sale with uh, five and a half acres of land, uh, four acres of which he could turn into garden. Yeah. So he moved in 1983. And um, and basically the, the the garden space was just pasture then, so he had it ploughed and then started to create um, these um, sort of television sets, I suppose, um, within that within that area. So so that's the the reason that we had two sites originally. I mean, he would have been quite happy staying where he was, but obviously, you know, he had no option in that respect. I see. And did you get involved with the gardens at all? You know, I was in um, 1979, I was doing my pre-entry year before I went to college, and then I went to college, and, um, you know, so I was sort of a, away from the area, as, as it were, and then went off to work in Norfolk, but I used to, every time I came back home to visit, it was a, it was a terror, really. You know, the, I, I, I look back at the amount of work that I did for free. Oh, of course, <laughs> now, it's always for you know, free, I'm, isn't I'm, it, for your parents? Yeah. Well, you say that. I mean, you say that. I've got two boys, and and you know, oh, well, you I have to pay them. They're in they're in their thirties now. You have to pay them to get out of bed. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, neither of them are living at home now. But but the point is, it's sort of you know, it's that stage where they'll do something as long as they're they're much more t- you know switched on to those sort of things these days. So yeah. you know, I used to come back and help him. Um, it, you know, holidays from college and stuff like that, and and weekends when I used to come home, I, you know, there was always something to do. I got involved, but um, yeah, but I didn't. I actually came back here uh, full time in in um, February nineteen eighty nine. Okay, so that's when I came back to work with my dad. Is that when he started paying you? <laughs> well, yeah, well, sort of, yeah, sort of. Uh, I mean, originally, I, I I sort of imposed myself on him as children do. Uh, and um, and and then um, I found somewhere to rent in Oakham, and, and he basically paid me enough to pay my rent, run my car, and buy my food, and that was it. And then I was quite, to be honest, I was quite happy with that because you know I, my you know my life even then was horticulture. I was quite you know I was quite happy to, to to be involved in that. And and you 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 know I think from my upbringing has helped in that you know you get used to. To living on on you know on, on a low income and and that's that's something I think that you know like I said all got to a life choice not a job in that respect so you know it, it's all intertwined so I was quite happy with that but but he was yeah he was a bit of a devil when I look back like that. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, you know, a couple of months ago I had the pleasure obviously of visiting Barnsdale and you you very kindly took a a guided tour of a, a group of garden media members around your nursery and around the gardens and the revelation that you started the tour actually in the nursery and the revelation that Barnsdale has always been organic was something I hadn't fully realised and peat free too. Yeah, um, I, I think, I mean, we're not, I have to say, we're not 100% organic in the in the nursery. We don't use a, a, a peat free organic compost and we do have, I mean, we do use peat free compost for everything we grow, but we, we, I do use um, artificial fertilizer in the compost. I don't, I don't spray 
any chemicals in the nursery. Um, and, and in that respect, I use organic methods in order to control pests and disease. But, but primarily, most of that is, is hygiene, you know, and, and being vigilant. And catching things at, at day one, I, you know, I, I, I'm a very um, keen advocate of the finger and thumb method when it comes to green fly. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, if you catch them early enough before they start landing in the gardens, um, my dad, when he first moved here, wasn't organic, but but within the first three years, he was doing his organic trials and then became organic uh, completely. So we have been organic here for, you know, approximately 36, 37 years. Um, in the gardens and and then uh, completely peat free for um, over 30 well about 32 years now um, on on the whole site and that's something that you know that we're 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 more than happy to tell people and uh, well to talk to people about we don't lecture anybody about anything if people want to ask us questions and talk to us about it then we will we're not you know, we don't pressure people into into turning them that way because we think it's the right way to go. Mm-hmm. But we're always happy to encourage and 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 to, you know, to educate people on on the the, the methods that we use. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So the nursery stock that you're growing, does that you're growing all of that with peat-free mediums? Are you able to you know, sort of share with us any of the sources of your your potting materials? Just so. I mean, here at the garden centre, we sell various different peat-free mediums. Are there any ones that you found are really good? I think I think the the it's a it's a problematic area, isn't it? That you know the yeah. the, the peat-free thing uh, has been for a long time. I mean, I originally um, you know we started off using a coir mix right. um, here, and in actual fact, when um, Sinclair Horticulture first developed their New Horizon compost for the yeah, amateur yeah. gardener mm-hmm. that was based on on what we were doing here okay, and okay. and i spoke a lot with with sinclair and and things like that and we we you know they sort of developed the mix based on that as as my dad did in the garden on what i was doing on the nursery um and and so so that was interesting um in that respect but i think the the problem has been that horticulture has been very slow to take up this peat-free thing we've we've as an industry i, I talk as uh, with the royal we as an industry i don't talk about us because we've been doing it for you know 32 odd years <laughs> yeah. peat-free thing but as an industry we've, we've buried our head in the sand and Absolutely. and just pretending that, that this thing wasn't coming and it was all going to go away and we we're going to be happy doing what we were doing but you know you, you there comes a time when you've just got to bite the bullet and say you know we we need to embrace this and we need to do it and we've been very slow to do that and and just like a parent dealing with a petulant child, you know, the government has said, well, hang on, you've had your time, hang on a minute, bang, you know, we're now going to do it and you've got to do it. So by, you know, um, by next year sometime, people are going to stop being able to buy amateur gardeners by peat-based compost. And, that, you know, the, the problem is that you suddenly get to a stage where people don't have the chance to try all the various different, different um, brands that are out there to see which one suits them. You must find at the garden centre that, you know, people come in, they have the favourite tools that they like, all the others are rubbish. Yeah, <laughs> you know, indeed, yeah. definitely. The next person who walks through the door will use one of the ones that that first person thought was rubbish and think the ones that they buy are rubbish. And the same with seeds and compost and everything. We all have our favourite things and also the things that, for some obscure reason, seem to work well with us and other other things don't. So mm. you need to you need to find your you know, your, your compost that, that will work. And I think, you know, the, the same with the horticulture industry. We, we now, 
a staring, well, the horticultural industry is staring down the barrel, and and it's going to be difficult. And I think that you know there there potentially have got to be some sort of exception to some of the you know it's difficult I think at the moment with peat free to accommodate certain sectors of, of, of types of plants. So, you know, things like the rhododendrons and azaleas, the acidic things are still quite difficult, I think, mm. in a peat-free mix because there isn't anything specifically at the moment uh, for that. Some of the houseplant stuff is also quite difficult, um, you know, and things. But uh, I use, as my mix, I use um, a, a commercial mix, obviously, here yeah. um, in the nursery, which is which is produced by Mel Court. Ah, um, okay. But, I, yeah. but I, I, I do use the Mel Court... Um, amateur um compost for public you know the, the propagation compost mm-hmm. uh, here which is the same as, as people get there uh, in the gardens at the moment we're we are using new horizon we've sort of gone back to that yeah. um at, at the moment uh, to do that but we're still looking at, at other things you know and 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 just you know trying we're always you know we're always i think we don't we don't want to be um in a situation where we just stick with with one thing all the time i mean we will use what's best for us but we're also because we're in the we're in the business of educating people we need to be able to talk to people and say yes we tried that Mm. compost and we we found this and we tried that compost and we found that and so we're always looking to try always try different ones so we we continually um play about really Yeah, it would, I think that's it, and like you say, it's a we're a massively changing in uh, sort of sector at the moment, and uh, what works for you might not work for me, but equally, mm-hmm. if we've tried both uh, uh, options and you've got one that works and I've got one that works, well, that's it's happy one. days, isn't it? And I guess the other question I've got with regards to sort of peat free and um, sort of being ecologically minded is, uh, have you noticed? Um, over the years, sort of a, any benefits to the local wildlife and the local ecosystems around Barnsdale that you think you can attribute to the fact that you've been essentially organic all these last thirty odd years? Yeah, I think I think you know I think being um, obviously not city or, or centre of town based is is helpful because obviously we're we're out in the countryside, less pollution here, um, which helps, uh, but. Um, I can't tell you. I can't tell you how many times a day we we get told by people, you know, isn't the you've got such a lot of birds, you've got such a lot of butterflies, you've got such a lot of this, you've got such a lot of that, you know, and 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 it is absolutely one hundred percent attributed to the way that that we treat our garden, and that's and that's um, you know from the organic approach that we have. Uh, so uh, I think that um, you know we we get asked an awful lot as to as to um every year an awful lot all through the year as to why our hostas look so good what do we do and i always say to people do you really really want me to tell you our secret method <laughs> and they're so keen and they're very excited they always say oh yes yes please please tell us what your secret method is and i always say to them the thing is that we don't do anything all we do is we approach our garden organically so you know, we have the birds, we have the ground beetles, we have the frogs and toads and, and all those hedgehogs and all those things that, that eat that sort of pest. The, the, mm-hmm. Yeah, the yeah. point is that you have to, you, have to um, you know, readjust your mindset so that you, you're, you're able to cope with the little bit of damage you get in order to have the, the predator, which are all these things that we want in our gardens. You know, they're all predators, the hoverflies, the, you know, the butterflies, all of those things, you know, they, they all... They all um, will eat uh, well not butterflies but ladybirds and, and stuff like that they'll, they'll all eat pests so they're a predator or the larvae will 
uh, they're a predator and the birds, obviously hedgehogs and all that are a predator. Uh, and, and so in order to have those, we do need something for them to feed on. Yeah. And that's the pest. So, and some years they'll be worse than others. And I've always said to people, you know, to be organic, you sort of need to be partially sighted because there are times, there are, there are years and times in the year when you really don't want to be able to see things. That's what I mean by the partially sighted. So if something, you know, if something isn't looking great because it's been attacked by a green fly, then don't look at it. <laughs> you know, well, that's it. With, Ignore it. You know, that's my point. Is yeah. it okay? You know, you yeah. you might need to spray it with your washing up liquid or whatever. But the point is that other times, don't depress yourself by looking at it, thinking, "Oh God, look at it." You know, it's got bit yeah. deformed or whatever. Look at other things that look great. You know, that's yeah. what the garden's about. It's about it's about uplifting. You know, don't don't bring yourself down by looking at stuff that hasn't worked quite right. Because again. You know, what control have you got over that? You can spray it once it's happened and things, but that's very much where the, you know, the, the, the being vigilant uh, thing that I was talking about earlier on with the nursery, you know, always, always, if you look, if you follow John around, my head gardener, John, if you follow him around, then he's, he's always looking. I mean, he's a nosy devil anyway, but he's always looking and he's looking for things um, that, that, that catch his eye. Because you need to catch them, like I said, in the early stages. If you catch if you catch pests, certainly and disease in the early stages, you can eliminate it without it becoming a problem. It's when you don't, when you miss it, it then becomes a big problem, or potentially. Yeah, good old prevention is better than cure, though, as they say. Nick, yeah. you, you've got obviously thirty-eight amazing gardens. When I was looking around the, the other the other month um, over at Barnsdale, obviously all as you say, sort of TV gardens as that was the the original uh, concept, wasn't it? But and you keep these open to the public. Do you ever change the themes of the gardens, or, or are they kept to very much the same sort of blueprint uh, what they were designed for back in in the day? Yeah, no, I mean, um, you know, if my dad if my dad came back today, um, there would be things he, rec- I mean, obviously recognise the whole layout because we don't, we're, we're landlocked, so we can't expand, as it were. We have mm-hmm. to, if we want to change something, what we what we have to do is take the insides of a, of a garden space out and redevelop that. And and so he would he would come and, and there would be an awful lot that he doesn't recognise. And I think as, you know, as, as gardeners generally, um, you know, amateur and professional, you need to, in order to keep your interest, you need to keep dribbling through change. And very often, subconsciously, a lot of the time, sometimes consciously, when you get to the stage where you're coming towards the end of your your vision that you had for your garden space, you change, you then decide to change one plant. And what that does is then has a knock-on effect with everything else, and you start the process again, mm. you know, because if you're interested in gardening, what you want to be doing is gardening. So, so you don't want something that's finished that gives you very little scope to go out and do stuff. So for us here, we, we've got a, a double-edged sword, really, in that, you know, to keep myself and the gardeners um, interested and keen and, and, and wanting to do, you know, to, to be out there in the garden, we also need to dribble through change. It's not a, it's not a historical garden. So it's not set in stone. It doesn't not change. A garden is a work in progress, and that's the way we look at But obviously on the other side of that, the other edge of that, is the fact that, you know, in order to um, to get people coming back, um, we need to uh, to keep changing things, and, and, and that's what we do. So we dribble through change, um, not rapidly, but as a gradual process. Oh, brilliant. Mm, that's a, a really good way of looking at things, isn't it? Because, yeah. no, like you say, sort of, yeah. it's not a historical sort of garden, which uh, obviously these days a lot of the National Trust gardens are sort of laying out their historical images of and paintings and what have you and saying right we're recreating that and that's yeah. what it will now look like for the next 
I don't know how many yeah, years, but yeah. I think what, yeah. at the end of the day, plants grow. Yeah. And I think gardens have grown. Evolve grow as evolve. well. It's all about evolution, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think I think I do think there's space for everything. You know, is the point. If you went to Hampton Court Palace as a prime, as what I use as a prime example to people, you wouldn't expect a 21st century garden to be around. You expect a Tudor garden because that's mm. that's the historical icon that it is. Mm. You know, and the same with a lot of the National Trust properties. It has to tie in with with the house that it's that it's with. But 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 I think for the majority of us at home, you know, as we as we as we grow older and 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 and, and our tastes change or we 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 get inspired by different things then then we want to to, to to do that with our garden as well so you know it's a really good way to do it nick on the front on the back of um your book the right genes there's yourself and and uh, jeff on a bike um now obviously you, you obviously like your cycling um have you ever been inspired to include or cycling or bikes within a a garden design that's a good point, actually. That 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 potentially, when I put the phone down on you later on this morning, that that's going to be something that that is going to race around in my mind. No, I haven't. Uh-huh. Um, but now you've put it there, what an idea! <laughs> <laughs> good so, uh, nice one. Well, we might have inspired a new garden in the yeah. in yeah. the future. Cool, good stuff. <laughs> and have you observed, uh, obviously, working in our industry for as long as you have, how sort of the fashions come and go and change in gardening i'm thinking so 10 15 20 years ago it was all landscape fabric purple slate and um odd sort of plants to architectural sort of features for plants if you wanted a low maintenance garden whereas now it's more astroturf and plastic <laughs> flowers and plants yeah. may i even say i mean yeah. have you noticed the sort of that and what do you think the benefits and changes that have come that are good uh, as times progressed? I think I think I think that um, as as I said just now, you know, that there's a place for everything, and and I understand that um, you know that that there are um, there's a place for astroturf, but and it is a big but. I think that should be restricted to people who absolutely need it. So. You know, people who, who can't, for whatever reason, maybe due to a disability or due to age or whatever, cannot mow their grass. Um, because at the end of the day, you know, the, the thing is that gardening is about the doing. It's about the doing. It, mm. it, you know, if, if, if at the end of the day you, you, you can stand in your garden and look around and think, I've done a blooming good job here, you know, really, really like this. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about it. really doesn't matter. It's not their garden. It's your garden. And if you can stand in there and think you've done a really good job, but but at the end of the day, if you're if you're interested in gardening, as I said before, you want to be able to get out there and do something. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, making a garden, and and it, it for for quite a number of of years now, it's driven me nuts. You know, this idea of 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 you know not putting making your garden so that you don't actually have to do anything. And you're thinking, well, I can understand, you know, there are, and I say, it, it, it is, there is a, a space for that for a small amount of people who, who, who live their whole life, who have no interest in gardening whatsoever, but have a garden and they've got to do something with it. Then I understand that. But yeah. for the majority of, of us, we need to find that happy balance whereby, you know, gardening doesn't become a chore. It's always a pleasure. And, you know, and, and we can go out there and do so. So it's in the doing. So I'm, I'm not a great fan of plastic <laughs> flowers and I'm not a great fan of, of AstroTurf, you know, just purely 
for the sake of, of then eliminating the the mowing you know it, it's a you know it's about it's about the doing you know gardening and i think that yes you know so-called fashions in gardening change but the basic principles there um will always stay the same and i think that you know a lot of the time when 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 i run the courses that i do here you know i like to i always say to people you know what i do is i don't tell you what to go home and do what what we do is we we arm you with the information that you need to then go home and 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 make your own decisions you know rationalize things yourself because you understand all the basics and you're able to put together because if i if I, if you know if for, well john here does the rose pruning co- uh, courses that we do so if he shows somebody how to, a group of people how to prune a particular rose then to make that that as it should be then they go home and look at their rose bush and think, oh God, it doesn't look anything like the rose he's just pruned. What do I do? You know. Mm-hmm. So it's about it's about giving people that that in, you know the information, the inspiration, and whatever to, to be out there doing stuff. And I think that's the the most important thing. Whether it's you know using decking or whether it's doing doing whatever they 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 are doing, it is you know it's about encouraging, making sure that people are still encouraged to go out in their garden and and do stuff. Mm-hmm. I think also a little bit the artificial grass and plastic flowers might look good but it doesn't reward you in the long term does it i mean there there is nothing better than i think say growing a courgette and getting something fruit uh, sort of to put in the frying pan uh, uh, halfway through the year it's uh, fantastic or the raspberries that you grow that one year give you a great crop and then another year (laughs) the birds have eaten them all but yeah yeah but that's the point, isn't it? But also, the the thing is, it, it's a it's a it's about you know thinking thinking out of the box. So mm-hmm. you know all the environmental and ecological things are a big thing now, mm-hmm. and and you know and and I have uh, I mean you know I, I I hear we we you know we we leave just small areas. We can't leave too many because people we don't have the ability to to explain everything to everybody, and 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 you know people are very quick to jump to conclusions. If you if you if an area looks you know what they class as tatty, but but you know that there are we we need to think about the you know the, the knock on effect that we have with insects. If you're using plastic flowers, you've got nothing for insects there at all, have you? No. You know, grass as well is a great source for or can be for for, for beneficial insects and and things like that. So, you know, we do need to be thinking outside the box as well. And and like I say, we we are the curator of our space, but but our space has a has an impact not just on ourselves but on the wider community as well so we need to think about that as well yes nick i quite agree um and actually on on the, the basis of of all your gardens um they're obviously they have to look good for all your visitors um how does your team and i don't if i remember rightly when i visited you haven't got a huge gardening team at uh, barnsdale how, how do you keep it all looking so so good and pristine uh, yeah, I have. Um, I mean, John, John, my head gardener, has been with me for twenty. It'll be coming up for twenty-eight years now. He mm. came as a seventeen-year-old, um, and um, uh, as a seventeen-year-old YT in the days of, of a youth training scheme, mm-hmm. uh, and um, and so um, and and he's been. You know, he looks after the team out there. He's got five people that help him. Uh, and full time, and you're right. You know, they do a magnificent job. The the one. The one benefit we have is that we 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 have never been and will never be a stately home type garden. So you know it's not about being pristine; it's about being um, relative to what people have at home. 
So, you know, there are four things I look at when people visit the gardens. One is that obviously we want them to enjoy themselves. The other one is that everything we do um, is is relative. So the garden sizes, as you know, because when you walk around, the mm. garden sizes are, are, are average, you know, for, for what people are likely to have. Indeed. Um, the other thing, the third thing is that everything's achievable. And the last thing is that we want everybody to go away with at least one idea. So, you know, we, we, we look at all of those things. So, so the, 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 the thing is that we're maintaining the garden to be like your own back garden. So, you know, we're, we're all very busy these days. We don't have 23 and a half hours a day to be outside manicuring our gardens anymore. It's not like it used to be in the, in the 50s, 60s and 70s in that respect. Uh, so, yep. you know, that, that's the good thing. I did um, a, a few years ago, I, I muted the idea of, of um, miners' lamps them so they could work at night as well that didn't go down well i suspect not no i wonder why <laughs> but they, you know they, they as, as everybody does here you know we, we all we all love coming here in the you know every day and um, um, we all get, you know we all get on really well for me you know i can i can teach as john can and, and whatever you know any, anybody to do anything that we don't need experienced people if we take somebody on we've taken totally total novices on in the past and we, t- we can train them to do whatever we want. But my, my main focus is finding the right people. So that's the right sort of people to create a, a magnificent team. If you've got a magnificent team, and I mean that as a whole, not just the garden team, but everybody, you know, then everybody works mm-hmm. in the same direction with the same ethos. And we all, you know, want to produce the best that we can aim with, you know, with that aim that we're, we're aiming for. So the best we can isn't being absolutely pristine. The aim is to inspire people because it looks like the sort of thing that they've got at home we hope more professional maybe than a lot but we hope that they can they can see things that because it's inspirational when you see something that you can then um imagine in your own garden but you know i get people coming in and saying you know i walked around and i saw three weeds i was so pleased <laughs> you know, because that's what they have at home yes. and the point is even weeding is a job that that, that that needs to be continually done so it's something that gets you out into your garden and and we've known for you know centuries horticulturists have known for centuries the benefits the mental health benefits of the garden it's just suddenly you know become a thing that doctors mm. are prescribing to people you know and things we've known for centuries about <laughs> it and we're and you know we're such a happy bunch in horticulture nobody's ever clocked onto it before um you know so it's a it's a great you know it's great to, to be able to do that for people and and like i say everybody here you know when you when you come across staff they're all they're all happy happy to talk to people some of them are a bit too keen to talk to people but you know we have <laughs> to do it <laughs> yeah. I, I think you're very right in the sense that we are very fortunate to be well, I love working at the garden centre because you get to get out and you're not stuck behind the desk all day long. You can get get out in the fresh air and get a bit of sunshine on you every now and again. And uh, but yeah, you're right. It, it isn't. It's it's one of those inspirational sort of careers that it leaves you feeling happy at the end of the day and uh, it's like you've achieved something sometimes. But <laughs> unless obviously you, <laughs> whatever you're growing's gone totally wrong. But. Um, your nursery is a great sort of draw for the visitors that you have to the gardens, isn't it? And I guess, can you think of sort of any things that have changed through the years with regards to what you're selling now to what you were selling maybe 20 years ago? And I think I think people, yes, I think um, there's uh, certainly because of the... Um, 
because of the, the, the lack of, of time that people have, or, or let's say they, they, they give more time to other things. So, um, you know, when, when I'm, I'm touch wood, I'm, I'm pleased at the moment that I, I don't have um, grandchildren um, at the moment. Um, I'm happy with that. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, we, we never signed up when we had children. We never signed up to the grandparent duty. <laughs> which which suddenly comes, you know, so that all adds to the things that people have to do. So, you know, when you look at, 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 at going back, you know, maybe maybe 30 years ago, you know, how, how um, and it is still big, but, but how much bigger bedding was, you know, and, mm. and now, you know, people have, have moved maybe more to perennial plants because mm. they can, if they, if they select the right things, they can still get a really good long flowering period. But obviously there's, there's much less work intensity with that. And, uh, you know, and so it's, it's like I say, with, with all these new things that are coming in, like the grandparents' duty and other things that we're doing, it, it's, it, it, it's, it's given us the ability to still do our gardening, but, but maybe not have to worry about, you know, finding the time to do things. So I think, you know, the, the rise in, in, in perennial plants has been a big thing, I think, in the last sort of 20, 30 years. Definitely, um, Nick. On on your nursery, obviously you're growing plants for for your sort of seasonal bedding displays, and obviously your amazing vegetable garden you have at Barnsdale. Have you any tips on sort of raising plants for the flower garden and the veg garden you could share with our uh, our Digit uh, listeners? Yeah, I think I think um, you know research is the big thing. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure make sure that you're getting the right plants, the right vegetables for the right spaces. You know, in places. Um, is is always a good thing um you know the the, the one thing i do find um you know is that, that a lot of the time people i'm always making notes you know people don't make notes about things and you know it, it sometimes it, it it's handy to have things to look back on uh, whenever i whenever i sow seed or, or take cuttings i always um write the date on the back of the label uh Purely because if 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 I I remember that these didn't do well last time I did them, and and I and I and you know this batch comes in I think oh gosh they've done well when did I take when did I sow those or when did I take those as cuttings and then you've got I mean you might never use it. it takes two seconds to write on the back of a label but the point is it's there if you need it you know so and and I and I have a, a book where I just jot down different different things and and it does help massively I think with. Um, with that because plants can be as you know can be very fickle um, you know from seeds from cuttings from you know even just buying them and, and planting them in the garden it, it's a it's a it's something that you know you, you don't it can become a very expensive exercise if you if you if you do it randomly you know having the knowledge is important and I think research is a great thing and and you know and there's no better research than than verbal you know, you you go to places like your garden centre. You come to nurseries. You go to all these things. Places, it, it, you know, knowledgeable people are there. Ask them questions. Ask them about things rather than just buying stuff that you like, because it might not suit. And 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 you know, and and so that's that's important, I think. Definitely. And uh, Chris and I talked before about yeah. when we're down the allotment or sort of talking to your neighbours over the garden fence and something's growing well in the gu- in their garden, you ask them what variety it is or you, you, you give someone yeah. the, uh, one of your bits of rhubarb and uh, mm. it's a really nice one. And it, I think it's a great thing that you can share sort of information. And like you say, sort of asking questions is the key to that, mm. isn't it? And yeah, absolutely. I noticed that... Um, Going through your website, you talked earlier about the fact your brother's a photographer, and some of the images on the 
website. It was beautiful. I mean, really inspiring. And uh, I, I had absolutely no idea that Barnsdale had still existed and had carried on. And forgive me for my ignorance, but obviously researching this, this show, I found out that yeah, you are still there and you've still got all of the things and what you've done since. The Gardener's World's no longer filming there, but the reclaimed garden image on the website looks like you've got some old beehives. Is that, is that something that you've got up at Barnsdale or are they just repurposed old WBC hives that are now compost bins? I mean, what have you done with them? Where did they come from? Right, well, the, the, the beehives that we have in the reclaimed garden are homemade made okay. those ourselves they're 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 made from um the, the design that's in my dad's cottage garden book that he he did the series of cottage garden series series of six programs yep. um in um i think it was broadcast 94 94 95 through the winter time there and and so so they're homemade and and they come apart and and really great compost bins and and because they look you know this is the point they look like a beehive they look effective and so you'll put them in a in a in a place where they get the sun, they get the heat, which helps with the with the rotting down process, the speed of it, and everything else. Rather than sticking it in the shadiest, coldest part of your garden out the way where you don't see it, because yeah. it's a it's a compost bin made of, of pallets, you yeah. know, and things which are great. But uh, but obviously, you know, you you don't necessarily want to be sat on your patio or on your lawn or whatever looking at, at a pile of pallets, as it were. So <laughs> yeah. whereas that sort of compost bin you can use. Uh, we do have proper. Uh, bona fide recycled beehives uh one in the gentleman's cottage garden there is one there uh but we don't um it's not used for anything it's just used as an ornamental thing really um i would i did a little bit of apiary when i was at, at college uh, just basics yeah. uh many many years ago now uh, and i would love to to keep bees the the problem i find is that far too many in order to do that i would need to section off quite a large space and i don't have that and and you know if if I had a large space I would just want to create gardens in it so, so <laughs> you know that, that's not something um, but also uh, um, lots of people I think don't you know they 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 get ter- they're terrified of things that that buzz around that that look waspish yeah. and and don't really understand that that bees are are not out to sting you to be fair wasps through most of the year aren't out to sting you it's only late on in the summer that they go a bit mad um, but but um, but you know they, they're terrified of things that buzz around so it wouldn't really be suitable to have. We do have uh, the local Rutland beekeepers who have their hives in, in land around us. So okay. in actual fact, yep. you know, we, we they, they are stealing our blooming nectar from, you know. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you've got to so, be, no, you should be, I'm sure you maybe already know, but there is a, there's a bunch of up near Rutland who are breeding black bees, which are the native bees. Yeah. So it might be that you've got native bees feeding on your uh, flowers and helping propagate. Very likely, yeah. <laughs> it is a good thing. Yeah. Uh, Nick, yeah. in yeah, your, your knotty garden, uh, I think you've had issues with box blight, haven't we all? Um, and obviously it required some replanting. Are you trying any new sort of box plant alternatives at Barnsdale? Um, yeah, we 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 found that we've become um, a little bit too too reliant on box because it grows well on our ground mm-hmm. and there's low hedging and stuff. We've got quite a lot of different sort of heights of hedging and things. Um, and then we've got the box blight, and it does make you then sort of stand back and look and think, right, okay, what else can I use? So mm-hmm. we are trying lots of different things. And and you will have seen Chris in the knot garden now mm-hmm. that we've got 
Um, actually, we're using a, um, a dwarfite lavender, yes. lavender, angustifolia, arctic um, snow, and in as a white one, and that's obviously evergreen, and that's now knotted with um, Berberis thunbergii atropurpurea nana. So that's a dwarf uh, purple leaf Berberis, which is deciduous. So you get um, you get the variation mm. of of evergreen and deciduous in the winter, but also you get the variation of the grey green foliage and the purple foliage of the of the box. And also the white flowers of the lavender blend well with that. So mm. it, it's actually a, a working way, way, way better than I ever thought it would. Um, but we are trying lots of different things, and and that's and and that's really, you know, actually it was a really great thing in a way. You know, so I've, I've turned the the, the, the depression of, of getting box blight, and it's it is mm. we've still got box in the garden. It is gradually working its way through everything, but but it's been you know the, we first found it in 1996, so it's been a slow progress. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you know it gives us now the opportunity, exciting exciting opportunity to find different things. So Definitely. we are trying lots of different things. Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly our customers are in the same predicament that the, the garden centre here. So things like Euonymus, um, Green Spire, um, Jean Hughes, and obviously some of the rosemaries now are coming back into into the fore. So it's, it's it's all good news that we are. There's plenty of plant material to to replace the box. That's for sure. Yeah. And. Nick, are you like the, the local plumber whose tap is always dripping and your garden is possibly not quite as beautiful as the ones that you work with every day? Or Tell us a little bit about your garden. Oh, I feel, I feel, I feel hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and, now, and now I'm going to have to tell you. Um, my, my, I spend, I do spend, you know, uh, 23 and a half hours a day here. Every yeah. day, I work seven days a week, and I love it. And and so my garden at home is grass, basically. My front garden, Snap. actually, I, I now I still I still haven't mowed my front garden. It's had uh, snowdrops in it. It's got bluebells in it at the moment in the grass. It's got um, had primula veris cowslip in there, and and that's now um, I'm just leaving that now to seed. And, and once the bluebells are finished and the primulas seeded, then I'll then I'll mow it. Yeah, um, but I have another area of grass at the front, which I leave all year, you know, and I just trim it in the autumn and, you know, a, a clover in there and all sorts of various other things. The grass at the back, I just mow. So I have it, you know, if, if ever I do get the chance to sit outside with, you know, with a glass of wine or a cold beer or something, then then I'll, I'll that's what I use it for. But it needs to be uh, easy uh, because, uh, you know, I have. Um, I'm just here all the time, so I don't. As much as I'd like to have that, you know, if when I'm even when I'm mowing at home, I'm I'm thinking about, you know, what I should be doing here. <laughs> Isn't that the case? Uh, though? Yes. It's yeah. like low maintenance gardens at home. Nothing I mean, wrong like with that. I said, yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris is um, a little bit more dedicated me than I am, and has a wonderful uh, well, garden with well, lots one of tries. <laughs> I, I, I have a large lawn <laughs> with yes. a few dandelions in it and that's nothing wrong with yeah. that <laughs> yes, nothing wrong with that um <laughs> nick um obviously you, you produce obviously quite a bit of compost at, at barnsdale um what's what's the options of producing that do you use like the, the tumbler types or do you use the traditional uh sort of compost bins what is any any preferences yeah. Yeah, we we I mean we we have a a tumbler that we we have out to show people. We don't actually use it. It's a bit small for for what we produce really. Mm-hmm. So we we do put stuff in it and we do have it out um, for people to see. Um, but we tend to to make our own. Um, we we um, for our leaves we compost our leaves um, separately. So um, we're predominantly 
because of the, um, as you know, when you drove up here, that the mm. avenue that you drive along is predominantly beach. Yes. Um, and we, we, we suffer from a, a prevailing westerly here, which blows across the garden towards the avenue of trees. So they're sort of 100 feet beach trees uh, and, and 100 foot high beach trees. And, and so it blows them sort of roadside. As soon as the leaves are ready to drop, the wind swings around and blooming well blows from the east and blows all the leaves in the garden. So, of course, we, mm. when we, we mow them up, um, because it helps to chop them up and start the, you know, it mm-hmm. speeds up the rotting process. But a lot of the leaves we have are quite are quite tough. So so they go in a separate bin, which is basically just rabbit wire, round four stakes. And we do mm. that because it's in there for three years. Whereas with, with the compost, it's much more important for us in order to, to, to knock that round as quickly as we can. So we very often use, we mostly use wood. Although it, it deteriorates, it's a really good insulator and, and, and easy to make your own. And, and like I said before, you know, we're trying to encourage people to do a lot of stuff themselves. So, mm-hmm. so that's what we do. Excellent. Nick, you've, you've written uh, a couple of books, uh, Organic Gardening and Organic Gardening Fruit and Veg. Um, do you have any other books in the pipeline? And do we get a sequel to The Right Genes as it ends on a bit of a, a, bit of a cliffhanger? <laughs> yeah that was the point uh, <laughs> i thought it might be <laughs> yeah, what, what, the trouble is i thought what i'll do is i'll, I'll sort of stop it as soon as you know it, it finishes um yeah really when i suppose when my dad start, uh, first appears on guard as well um and 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 you know the, the, there's a classic thing is they always leave people wanting more mm-hmm. the trouble is that you know you're you're one of a long line of people that have been harassing me when you know when's the next one when's the sequel coming out? when's the next book coming out when's it you know when does the story carry on and whatever I'm, I'm 72 and a half thousand words into that one. I've just started my first edit read through um, of it. Um, obviously now, you know, as things get busy here, the time that I get to do that becomes less. That is the next book I've got. I'm not, you know, that's my focus at the moment is to right. get that one done. That is also going to be called The Right Genes, but genes spelt J-E-A-N-S. So oh, that my dad was the first gardener to garden in genes. So I Indeed. just thought, you know, when I, when I thought about writing the books, that, 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 that it was a good, it was a good tie-in uh, in that respect. So that's well on the go. Um, I can't tell you when it's going to be out because it just depends on... I, I keep trying to do little bits every time I get, you know, a few minutes and whatever, but um, it, it is, it's on the way. It is good. on the way. I'm really looking forward to it. So, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Now, it's a big year for Barnsdale. It's your 40th anniversary, and I know you're creating something rather special at this month's Gardener's World Live show. Um can you tell us anything about this or tease of what we might like to or what we might expect to see? Um, well, it's, I mean, I'd be quite like somebody to tell me what I'm going to be doing, really, because <laughs> we're in that situation where, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a strange thing. I, I don't think that um, the vast majority of the general public actually realise the, the process you go through when you create a, a display at a, at a show, whether it's a show garden outside, which I think is, is 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 much more sort of set in stone, as mm-hmm. it were, and and and, uh, and and easier in that respect. When you're when you're in the floral marquee, it, it is more difficult. You're, you're looking at things at absolute perfection all the time. So, you know, at the moment, a lot of my plants are travel sick because they're going in and out of tunnels, in and out of tunnels. You take them out, they slow down too much, you put them back <laughs> in again, and then you know, and, yes. and trying to gauge. I've got, I've just put some against the north facing wall of my shed, which is cold and colder, obviously there and shaded, just to try and slow them down a bit. I don't have any other means to do that. So so um, all I can tell you is that I have a, a, a pathway that is spells that's really just the number 40 that's all joined as a pathway in the show there. I've got an idea of, of, of 
of the sort of it will be a cottage garden uh, planting uh, okay. because that's that's what we do. Um, and there are, um, you know, I'm going to have a, a spirea in there. I'm going to have obviously the Jeff Hamilton rose in there and, and some other varieties of roses in there. Um, uh, some some uh, herbaceous potentillas uh, will be there, you know, and, and stuff like that. So I'm hoping mm. to have Lickness Garden as well in flower because that's a really good link, obviously, with it being the celebration of the gardens and stuff. So, um, you know, that, that's the sort of thing. But obviously what happens is that, you know, I will take whatever's looking good. We get there and then we put it together. So literally, uh, you know, I've got an idea of what I want to do and where I want certain things to be. But when you start putting it together, then that can change. And all of a sudden, you know, that plant that you've tended for for months um, and is looking fantastic just doesn't fit in. And Mm. it's impossible to get it in there. And sadly, you have to take it away again. So, you know, it is something that that will create, but I can guarantee that the pathway will be there and that it will be in a cottage garden style. So it'll be all about the flowers, all, all, not not crammed in there, but but all all looking great, and hopefully you won't see much bark underneath. What you'll see is just plants and plants and plants and plants. It sounds oh, wow. excellent. I'm oh, looking forward to seeing that uh, at Gardeners World Live. And will you be doing any book signing at the show at all, Nick? Yeah, I'm, I'm on the. I'm having a, a chat with David Hurrian on the on the stage in the in the marquee on the Saturday. Uh, not sure exactly what time that's going to be yet, but I'm, and I'm also doing a book signing on the Saturday after that as well. Um, when I'm there, I will have the book for sale there, but but I'll be doing the book signing on the on the Saturday. Um, John, the head gardener, John look, is there every day. Um, you know, I go there and create, and then and then have to come back and, and rest. <laughs> so, <laughs> tiring work of the shows, so, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> well, I also have I also have this to look after, you know. So mm. when when I I mean John John's been with me with me for so long, he's sort of my right hand man. If I put if I send him there, it, it, you know, I, it's difficult then to to make sure that I've, I've you know I'm able to to make sure this runs um, smoothly here as well. So mm. so um, you know we we sort of separate ourselves like that in that respect. Good stuff. Well, Nick, we always like to ask a question coming towards the end of the show uh, about if you're ever stranded on a desert island, what plant or gardening implement would you take with you and why? Okay, so um, I I would um, take with me as a plant um, a penstemon. I, okay. I have always had a fascination for penstemon. I love penstemon. I think they're such a good value plant and... and uh, and do really well. They're a good pollinating plant as well. So, mm-hmm. so um, you know, so that's beneficial as well. Um, yeah. And at, at one stage, I did have about 150 different varieties. I've scaled that right back now, but mm-hmm. but you know, it was it got to be quite a passion actually. So, I, so that's the plant that I would take. Uh, and I and obviously, you know, I would have to take Pensman Jeff Hamilton. I'm in. I'd be struck down by a bolt of lightning if I didn't. <laughs> yeah. uh, but there are lots of lots of lots of very very valuable and, and great great varieties. Lots of older varieties as well that are still you know what what always we knew as Pensman Garnet is now Pensman um, and Denkin on Friedrich Hahn. Uh, you know that that is is been around since the Victorian era for a good reason because it's a blooming good plant. You know, and there are so many of those. So you know, lots of really good old varieties of that as well. Um, the one um, gardening implement I would have to take, and this is also related to my dad, is the fact that as a as a as a young adult, um, I, I once in the garden I once said to him, "Oh, um, have you got a knife I can borrow?" And he said to me, "A good horticulturalist should never 
be without their knife. Mm, <laughs> yes. And so I would always, I would take a knife. I take, I have a knife in my pocket wherever I go. I don't tell the people in the bank I've got a knife in my pocket when I go in. <laughs> but I always have a, I always have a, uh, you know, I always have a knife in my pocket because you just never know. Where, it's such a versatile tool, and you yeah. never know when you might need one. I, and my, the knife that's in my pocket is not one I propagate with. I have a separate knife for that. It's a general purpose knife, mm-hmm. so it gets stuck in the ground. It gets to, for all sorts of different things. But but a knife is is definitely the tool that I would take. Yeah, fantastic. Quite agree with that. So that was, I was I was told and I was instructed at college to always have a, a, a knife, and uh, I do today. Although it's not on me today, it's actually in, in my bag. Nick, um, do you have any gardening related amusing stories or jokes you can relate to? Maybe from from obviously your your, your time at uh, Barnsdale. Well, um, I mean, the one thing that I, that <laughs> I always say is that you know, my dad, like I said, my dad was a a, a great, great horticulturalist and and great, but but obviously, you know, he he um, had to for the majority of the time that that he had Barnsdale here, he had to fund out of his own pocket to do mm. that. So um, the BBC didn't really contribute. Um, anywhere near enough to, to, to run the gardens, as it were. So so a lot of that came out of his own pockets. So that meant that he had to do lots of other things, like the writing and the personal appearances and things like that, which took him away from his beloved garden. So therefore, a lot of the time, you know, he employed um, two people full-time to help him in the garden. And and then I came back to Barnsdale and, and we bought this piece of land to develop the nursery. So I, I was splitting sort of between the two when I was needed. But the first job that I ever did was um, I... I um, raked out the area where the apple arch was going to go mm-hmm. so you know that um chris when you came that you go through the entrance if you follow the granite pathway through you come to a bridge and yes. just before that bridge there's a couple of rather large gate posts so mm. um our garden is sort of divided into two halves so at that gate post there is is where um the sort of the the, the piece of land that we bought in 1989 that's where that sort of finishes and the and the television garden starts so there was always a gate on there and people didn't get to go beyond that until after my dad had passed away and we opened that bit as part of one big garden. So what he wanted was he wanted the apple arch so that it looked sort of through that area, as it were, mm-hmm. uh, and back onto what was in effect a field at the time. And and so um, I set up the apple arch, which is 15 arches, and uh, they've got a different apple or pear up virtually every arch. So in actual fact, there are 26 different varieties of apples and pears. So we've just got Four varieties of pears that are doubled up for pollination purposes, but lots and lots of different varieties of apples on there and pears and things. And I raked the ground level, sowed, uh, laid, sorry, laid the turf, didn't, didn't put grass down there, laid the turf for that, put the archways up, planted all of the apples and pears except for the last one. And then I sat back, you know, on the, on the Friday night when that was, that had been filmed, and I sat back on the Friday night as I had to watch the programme. Uh, I, I wasn't forced to watch the programme, but every Saturday morning, my dad would walk down there and he'd say to me, so what did you think then? It's <laughs> all he'd say, and of course I had to have an answer. I used to watch the program. I mean, it helps. It's like yourself, you know, yourselves. When when you know people people see something on the program and and they're looking for certain plants, so it's important to know what they're looking for. But anyway, but I sat there and watched that program, and I'd sweated, <clears throat> I'd sweated blood and tears in order to to get that finished in time and get it all ready and whatever, so that they could film it. And blow me, I sat there and watched him leap on the television there and say, right, okay, so I'm just going to plant this last apple tree. And he planted the last apple tree and he said, right, okay. He said, I think I've done a really good job there. He said, look at how well the... 
and I just sat there open mouthed. I couldn't believe it, you know. Uh, and, and the thing is that it didn't. It wasn't just the once that happened. <laughs> it was a few times, but of course, you know, that's what he, you know, he needed, as we all do, you know, from time to time, he needed help. But yeah. it, you know, I always smile when I think back at, you know, at, at the way that. Sometimes he would do that, and and, uh, and he, I know that he was laughing to himself always when he did it. <laughs> ah, wonderful, wonderful recollections, Nick. Wonderful, wonderful story. Brilliant. So, uh, so um, finally, how, how do our Digit listeners find out more about Barnsdale Gardens? Well, we're on we're on all the social media channels, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and you can search for us on there. But uh, but our website, which has you know visitor information, times are open, and all of that sort of stuff, and 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 all the other links that you need is is at, at barnsdellgardens.co.uk. That's perfect. Brilliant. Thank well, thank you. Yeah. Well, Nick, thank you for your, for your time today. It's been really really interesting, and it it sort of well backs up all my my feelings about your your wonderful uh, your wonderful legacies from 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 your late dad and what you've achieved over the the last uh, forty years. Um, thank you for thank very you. much for your time. Mm, thank you very much. It's been wonderful chatting yeah. to you. It's a pleasure. Today's show was brought to you by Buckingham Garden Centre and Nurseries. The show was hosted by Chris Day and Peter Brown. The show was produced by Peter Brown. And our thanks to Chilton Music Therapy for providing the music. Thanks for listening. At Chilton Music Therapy, we want everyone to know the difference that music can make in their lives. From parents and their premature babies in hospital to grandparents with dementia. We provide music therapy and community music services to people of all ages and needs across England. We work both digitally and in person in people's homes, care homes, schools, hospitals and hospices. Find out more at chilternmusictherapy.co.uk.